0: I think, and this is the first time I'm saying this out loud, I think as women, we are used to things being difficult. And so that becomes normal for us. That's the norm. Overwhelmed, we're the default caretakers. We're perfectionists. Not saying men aren't, but you know, we're really socialized to be the good girl, to be accommodating, to be nice. There's a lot of contortionism that happens with that. So life is tough. And so to make things easier for ourselves can sometimes, in a way, maybe feel uncomfortable.
1: Welcome to the Smart Money Mama Show, where moms get real about money to help you find your financial confidence and live your best life. Now let's talk money mamas. Hey there, I'm your host, Chelsea Brennan, and mamas, today on the show, we're talking to Claire Wasserman, founder of Ladies Get Paid and recent author of the awesome new book by the same title. Claire started Ladies Get Paid to champion the professional and financial advancement of women. It's grown into a global community, and Claire has traveled the country teaching thousands of women how to negotiate millions of dollars in raises, start businesses, and advocate for themselves in the workplace. In fact, she was named one of Entrepreneur Magazine's 100 Most Powerful Women and is a highly sought-after expert for Fortune 500 companies working to improve diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging within their organizations. Now, before we get started, I want to tell you that today is a very special episode because it was recorded live in the Motivated Mama Society, our monthly membership community. You'll hear Claire and I have a great conversation for the first half and then open up to questions direct from the mamas in the society. If you want to learn more about what we do in the Motivated Mama Society, helping moms rewrite their money stories, connect with their biggest dreams, and build lasting wealth, check it out at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash join. As always, stick around to the end of the show to hear my top three takeaways from this conversation with Claire, or you can head over to smartmoneymamas.com forward slash Claire, C-L-A-I-R-E for the complete show notes. All right. Are you ready, mamas? Let's get started. Hey, Claire. Welcome to the Smart Money Mamas show. Thank you for having me. I am so excited that you finally wrote a book. These stories are amazing. So congratulations on getting the book written. Thank you. And by the way, these are real women that you read about. There is
0: not a single detail that I changed except for some people's names. Everything mm-hmm. happened to them. It's kind of incredible when you read it.
1: It is. And there was a story you dropped in there about a person that everyone here has heard about that I did not expect to see. Do you want to tell us the AOC story? Oh, OK. I was like, <laughs> oh, I love this? Oh, no, but you gave away the punchline because it's AOC. Oh, sorry. But it's still an amazing story because I couldn't believe it. I can't believe it either.
0: So full disclosure, AOC is my friend from college. So I have to tell you the truth about that. She saw that I started Lays Get Paid 2016 and she reached out to me and she said that she was unhappy at her job. She was the bartender and I was organizing a workshop that week and it was with a career coach who was going to be talking about how do you get unstuck in your career. She came to the, the workshop and she ended up hiring the career coach after worked with her, knew that she wanted to go into civic engagement, maybe be politically active. Her concern, which is a real concern, was, can you actually make money doing this? Mm -hmm. So not so much for her, what's my passion, but more about, is this a realistic career path for me? And part of the coaching that she got, and then I talk about this in the book, is at some point, you got to stop thinking about it and just do something, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not quit your job and go full-time into this sort of passion of yours, do something small, dip your toe into the water. And so for her, she started to get involved in different kinds of groups, including Ladies Get Paid. We, after 2016, obviously had some concerns before our election. With a state senator, we created a class on how can you become kind of a new activist? Like, what does that mean to you? And AOC ended up helping us spread the word and start training other women, how do you lead these workshops? So not just do you want to come, but do you want to be a facilitator? And long story long at this point, <laughs> it was about a year after I hosted a town hall called Reinvention. And I mm-hmm. see women who had sort of rethought not just their careers, but kind of their lives. She was not a speaker because she had not done anything yet, uh, which I sort of find really funny that I didn't put her and part of these town halls, I always designate people to speak first and to share their stories. And then I encourage people in the room, you know, to stand up and share. And so she was one of the people who stood up. And this was a room of like 150 women. She said, I have always wanted to run for office, but people who run for office don't usually look like me. But I'm going to do it. I get chills every time I tell this story because we all, I mean, everybody cheered. I cried. <laughs> she was not AOC yet. And I'm telling you right now, she literally did not use those acronyms. We Mm -hmm. didn't call her that. And people knew that something profound happened, not because she was going to win, but I think because of the bravery it took to publicly declare yourself in that way. I think it was actually more about that she probably wasn't going to win. And she stood up and declared herself. And what's even better, you know, it took another year after that for her to get elected. People who were in the room last night, I then have told them, I say, do you remember her? And then go. Oh, holy shit! <laughs> it was her. She's obviously very busy now, but we DM every now and then, and that is my claim to fame. And yes, I will take
1: a little bit of credit, like just a very tiny fraction of a credit. You this. were there when she declared it <laughs> and helped her get to that point, right? That is the amazing thing of "Ladies Get Paid," and the whole book is full of these stories. It's really a powerful read, not just from the content, obviously, but that these stories are so impactful. And to make you tell another story, because this one had a similar stand up, go back to that first town hall. Like what, how did Ladies Get Paid come to be? So the long story short on Ladies Get Paid
0: is I had a very misogynistic experience where I walked into a networking event and this older guy comes up to me and he smiles, sticks out his hand and says, hi, whose wife are you? And it just kickstarted this mad research that I began to do even just Googling women and the wage gap, because this was 2015. So people weren't really talking about that then. And eventually, uh, about a year later, I had a friend come to me and she said, I do not know what to charge. I'm having trouble. I'm realizing that I am charging a lot less than my male counterparts. And she was a a freelance art director. Mm -hmm. And said, what can we do? And I had this aha moment because all of this research that I'd been doing had just been depressing me and not really showing me that one could do anything really. I mean, when you're yeah. taking something that's overwhelming and systemic, like as an individual, what can you possibly do? But when she says, I don't know how much to charge, my aha moment was, ah, this is tangible. Money is power. Money is the mm. underlying issue of so many issues. And the only thing I could think to do was let's bring a bunch of women in a room together and say, mm-hmm. What does money mean to you? And I got a hundred women to come. We were in New York, we were in an apartment. So we were all like, Wait, you
1: did this kind of like a secret party right were you invited invited so the way that I did it and this is how anybody who is thinking about starting a
0: community or they want to host an event and bring in lots of people I recommend that you start with a handful of folks that you think will absolutely love it bring a ton of value and that's what I did I went to six women and I said who do you recommend that we bring give me one to three people okay mm-hmm. so like very specific. And it wasn't just who do you think would like this, but again, who do you think would really get a lot out of this? Would you introduce me or would you invite them? And very quickly, we got to 100 because for everybody I was introduced to, I would then ask them, one, people, who do you recommend? And ended up actually having quite a large waiting list, which was good because after the entire event, I created a Slack group. And I invited every, and I'll talk about the event in a second, that was Ladies Get Paid. It was, yes, we're talking about money, but what are you going to do next? And the way that that unfolded was inviting people to this Slack group so they could continue to brainstorm with each other. But at that event, again, it was six months before the presidential election. And all I did was say, what does money mean to you? It was literally like a cork on a champagne bottle, bloating because people could not stop talking. This is a taboo subject. Mm. They had never talked about this publicly before. They had never admitted things like, I never negotiated or I did negotiate and I didn't get it, right? Like things Mm -hmm. they were carrying some shame around. They also talked about making money. I mean, there was a woman who was an illustrator, she actually has a a column in the New York Times now, Julia Rothman, and she stood up and said, I make a shit ton of money, (laughs) Want everybody to cheer, but also recognizing that that's kind of taboo, especially about- as women. Yeah, and that you don't—that's not being greedy; that's being proud. And I walked out and just thought to myself, something is here. There is energy, and it's connected to the research I was doing. I don't know how the pieces fit together, but I—I ha- I have to do something. Like I just felt sort of compelled. And then we're still in business, which I also can't believe. (laughs)
1: Still here. (laughs) Well, now you're in California. So you did move
0: coast to coast. I did. Yes. And our community now has 75,000 women from all 50 states and more than 120 countries. Actually went across the country almost three years ago now, hosting that town hall, that money, women, and town Mm -hmm. hall in 19 cities. And I saw close to 3,000 women. So I was able to replicate what I did in New York and go to Grand Rapids, Michigan and Places that I wasn't sure how the conversation would go. And I mean, you can obviously talk too about your experience. Do you find that the conversation around women in work, the conversation around feminism, does it change depending on where you are? So I, I guess that's a question for you, Chelsea, and for anybody here
1: if you've seen a difference or a different kind of conversation. I think it differs depending on to your immediate community. I mean, we talk about, I live in Connecticut, which is a very blue state in general, but there are pockets where if you're in a more rural area, they get very different, very different policies. And the, even the bumper stickers you see, right, are just incredibly different and in how that drives the conversation. The number of people I've spoken to, even in Connecticut, that are like, yeah, like, I want to fight the wage gap, but I'm not a feminist. And it's like, but why? <laughs> I'm going to need more words here. (laughs) And so that does come up. But I think that we're recording this right now in the Motivated Mama Society, which is our membership community. And the power of bringing women together and removing some of those taboos and letting there be a supportive place where you really can say anything. It's amazing to see what happens. It's funny that you mentioned the feminism comment because
0: somebody in our community in Tulsa, Oklahoma, said that it's called the other F word. Mm. I not believe it, and she said, If you come here, your message will resonate. Just don't use that word. So I found it's actually the same everywhere. It's just the language is
1: different, oh yeah, underlying concerns, yeah, so the language is different. Kelly Morris actually just asked, What word should we use instead of the other f word? I don't know. It's just like, do you believe in equality? Yes. Do you believe in
0: gender equity? Yes. So I think it's more just talking about what it is without using that kind of language.
1: So to talk about a little bit of the content of the book and really what we're learning as we go through it, one of the things that stuck out to me was this idea that we consider work only to be hard work and we discount anything that feels natural or fun. Where does this mindset come from? Yeah. I mean, I think it also comes from just sort of a capitalistic society and not
0: to go too deep into history here, but there's a lot of guilt I think a lot of people have if they're not working hard. So let alone like what kind of work you do, we're in a hustle culture. We're in a 24-7 culture. So there's that to begin with. I think as women, we are used to things being difficult. And so that becomes normal for us. That's the norm. Overwhelmed, we're the default caretakers. We're perfectionists. Not saying men aren't, but you know we're really socialized to be the good girl, to be accommodating, to be nice. There's a lot of contortionism that happens with that. So life is tough. And so to make things easier for ourselves can sometimes, in a way, maybe feel uncomfortable. There's a lot to unpack there. I think when I talk about sort of the difference between work and hard work, I mean, do the things that bring you energy, okay? The things that you do without even thinking about, stuff that comes naturally. I'm talking about if you are a person who brings together other folks, you're a galvanizer, you're a community person. That should be something you do for a living. That is a unique strength that isn't just a nice to have, but that you can really lean into. So I think that's also a lot of this comes from my own personal experience where forcing myself to learn how to use Excel, which of course, good, we should all learn new skills. But at some point you go, this isn't my strength. And so I should probably do the kind of work that doesn't require me to do this. That's kind of my point. But my recommendation to anybody trying to figure out next steps is look to the past For clues of times where you what's called got into flow. That is an actual expression in the flow. Okay. Sociologists actually came up with that. And that means time sort of evaporates. And I think everybody's had, I hope everybody's had that experience. And it's a beautiful
1: thing. And I and I just challenge everybody, can you make that what you do for a living in some capacity? And there's a balance there too, right? Because in this hustle culture, we've created this thing of you can't have a passion or a hobby if you don't monetize it. Like you almost have to validate your passions that way. And so not necessarily turning every one of your passions into work, but finding work where you get flow. How do you start to differentiate the two? Like where is one just like this should be a hobby and where is one like this should be my work?
0: That's a great question. Again, to my point earlier, sometimes you just have to go for it. Friend of mine, when she graduated college, she wanted to be a professional musician Mm -hmm. and she started to do that and totally took the joy out of it, trying to monetize it. She figured that out pretty quickly, so that was good for her. I mean, I think you just have to try to monetize it. I mean, you don't have to go all in, but see if people are even willing to pay for it. You might discover that there isn't a market fit for it, that perhaps it should stay a project and not a business. So part of it is, is this even something that's feasible, regardless of, do you like to do this for a living? And if the market wants it and you enjoy it, you go for it. And if a couple months into it or a year into it, you go, this wasn't for me, don't be afraid to go get a job. You didn't lose time. You have such great anecdotes from being self-motivated for taking risks. And I've done that where I worked for myself, the company didn't work out. And I went and I got a job and I totally used that as a case study for actually why I was excellent. You know, The humility of being able to know when to shut something down. So I say, go for it and know that it's always a good story that you can use moving forward if you need to find the full-time work. Everything that I've done that ended up turning into a business, whether it failed or not, because I should mention, I practiced being an entrepreneur before I started Ladies Get Paid. I always experimented with it without trying to make money first, but I treated it like it was a business. Like I had a sense of what I would end up charging, and that allowed me to even see, was this something I was willing to even dedicate all these hours to? You also need to trust yourself. I find a lot of the questions I get, people already sort of know the answer to. Which is, means you need to have, I think, a little bit of faith in yourself and really tap into your instinct here. I, I talk about that in the book, too. Listening more to your instinct than to external voices or maybe external voices that you've now taken on as your own. So I challenge everybody, how do you get back to listening and trusting your instinct? I think that will give you the answer you really want.
1: And what advice do you have on that, especially for people who have imposter syndrome, right? They already think that other people think they're better than they are. How do you start to listen to your inner voice? By the way, as
0: I wrote this book, I have never experienced imposter syndrome as much as I did. It's something I've experienced in my life for sure This book, it was so meta. I was writing for myself, to be clear, Chelsea, and I I was not writing for you. the best books are written (laughs) for, like, the author. (laughs) Yeah, it was for me. This was my personal therapy session. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. (laughs) With imposter syndrome, I actually think we should embrace it a little bit because it means that you are doing something new or you're pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone. So that is a good thing. Something else I would focus on is the value that you're giving. And the process, this is going to be really hard and it's going to take a lot of practice, but instead of obsessing over the final product or the outcome, right, which would be the presentation you give, or did the client like it, or do people purchase my book, right? You can't tie your personal success to that, right? So I want you to kind of decouple the outcome from how you feel about yourself or how you define yourself, Mm -hmm. which means it's about what am I learning from this experience, what is the value of what I'm bringing, right? The value of my book is I'm helping other people. I had to stay really focused on that and kind of get out of my head about whether or not people like it. So I would say that's huge. I also think I'm a huge believer in how do you get objective? How do we get out of our head? Please, everybody, just track your imposter syndrome for like two weeks. Anytime you're having feelings of self-doubt, right? Don't speak up in the meeting, whatever it is. Write it down. Write down a lot of the details: where you were, who was there, what was said, etc. A woman in Reese who does this in my book, she recognized after doing that that yes, she had imposter syndrome, but actually, she was in a work environment that was making it worse. She was in a very like competitive, toxic culture. So she then recognized, you know what? I've got a lot of inner work to do, but I also need to find a new job. Yeah. So you may you may discover that this actually really has very little to do with you. So I recommend. Get out a journal and and dedicate yourself for the next two weeks and go track that.
1: This is so layered, though, because I feel like it all comes back to money being at the root of so many things in our lives. And I think that when you feel that imposter syndrome, and then you find out that the guy in the office next to you is making 20% more than you or sells more books than you or whatever it is, it feels like quantitative evidence that you're not as good as they are. And so let's talk about getting paid. How do we make sure we're getting paid what we're worth? Everyone here is like, I've been waiting for this moment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we're
0: talking about ladies get paid for 20 minutes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's really, really hard to not take it personally when you see people around you moving forward or moving up. We internalize a lot of this stuff. We think it's our fault. That was a huge aha moment for me in recognizing that awkward gender dynamics, power dynamics in my own career. I thought it was me. It really wasn't. That's where you have to remind yourself there is structural inequities here. And as long as you've gathered information about how much to charge, how the company structures pay, like a lot of times we just have to ask our company, what does compensation look like here? This is the research I've done. Why am I not making this? What do I need to get there? Right? Like we oftentimes think we have to give ourselves the answers. And then that's when we spiral in our head, figure out how to ask. And you can position it as, I want to be a leader here. I want to understand the company better and my place in it. So when you have these conversations, they don't need to feel confrontational. So there's that. I also think we need to get really good at articulating our accomplishments because, yes, you're going to do the research, but you actually have to make the case for why you're deserving of the highest amount that you can make the case for. And that's where... Impact. Can you quantify your impact? And I know for people who are in sales, that's a lot easier because you're able to say, here's how much money I brought in. Mm -hmm. If that's not clear to you, I would look at how much time you're saving the company, resources, right? If you're doing multiple people's jobs, because saving time, time is money. Mm -hmm. So digging into that, asking your manager, what's my impact here? Again, it's about wanting to better understand your place in the company. So really focus your pitch on yourself, and how you're the top performer who gets the top dollar. And please, I know everybody's in a pandemic, still negotiate, but have prepared what's called full compensation, right? Mm -hmm. And that's talking about things that the company can give you that cost them either very little or nothing, but brings you value. I mean, you should talk about this stuff all the time, but I think especially now, make them give you at least one thing. You cannot walk out of that negotiation with them getting everything and you getting nothing. So even if it just means they're paying for you to go to buying Ladies Get Paid book or going to to Chelsea's (laughs) conference, right? Like you have to walk out of there with something. They'll be happy to do it because that means you're going to be more enthused about working there and they want happy employees.
1: So it could be paying for continuing education. Are we talking like vacation days and things here as well? Oh yeah.
0: Anything that you want that you can maybe make the case for how it's a benefit to the business. Mm. Even if that means you're more productive, right? The flexibility, paying for gas, earlier timetable to do the review, maybe commitment to, I want to position myself for this next job. Let's work backwards from there. Could I shadow a person for a week? You can get really creative about it. You just have to go in with the ask. Otherwise you're leaving it up to them. And only the people who get recognized and rewarded are the lucky ones, right? It really is up to you to be your best advocate.
1: Yeah, I have a friend when I worked in Boston that negotiated for them to pay for his parking pass. He Mm -hmm. was like, I don't want to take the tea in every morning, like pay for me to park. Like it's a tiny thing for them, but it was a huge relief for him. He's like, I don't have to worry about it. You can maybe even say it'll
0: help me get to the office earlier. I mean, maybe that's bullshit, but like see if you can spin it as a benefit to them and anticipating all the reasons they'll say no, already have an answer to it. And if you
1: practice, you'll be fine. Mm, Yes, Absolutely. Okay, Claire, we're going to open it up to questions from the ladies of the Motivated Mama Society who are hanging out with us right now. But before we do, let's take a quick pause to hear from our partners who help make the Smart Money Mama show possible. Mamas, talk about habits. I've used the same budgeting tool since my very first internship in college. This tool has been with me through every major life decision, reducing stress and helping me design a life I want. Sure, I've tried other systems just to see how they work, but none of them come close to matching You Need a Budget. You Need a Budget, or YNAB, operates on four simple rules that show you how to stop living paycheck to paycheck, get out of debt, and save more money so that you can spend your hard-earned cash on the things that truly matter most to you. It puts you in control and encourages you to actually align every dollar with your values. Looking to start a new budget habit for 2021? Look no further. You can start a free trial at YNAB, no credit card required at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash YNAB. All right, we're going to open it up for questions from the Motivated Mama Society. We have a bunch of people here watching that already are dropping questions. And so let's dive into some of those. The first question is from Kate. What advice do you have for moms raising tiny, strong women? My girls are almost five and I want them to retain their fierceness and bring it into adulthood and work. Oh, they're fine
0: because you've already asked that question. Like you're doing an amazing job. Do you all know Reshma Saujani? She's the CEO of Girls Who Code. She wrote a book called Brave, Not Perfect. She talks a lot about how we should encourage our girls to be, again, brave, not perfect. So what does taking risks look like? Love my mother, but I'm going to just say right now something I talk about in therapy is there was too much, you look beautiful, Claire. And so then I felt like I needed that. So I wish she hadn't really commented on my appearance. Again, it's not about the A. I mean, we want to do our best, but it's what did you learn? How did you feel like this went? So it's really like congratulating and encouraging the process of doing things. Things like you're a good friend, you're patient, you're thoughtful, right? So a little bit less emphasis on how accomplished you are or successful or beautiful because these things, they don't really say much about your character. So I I think that's great. And of course, I got my little Ruth Bader Ginsburg doll over here. I wish I'd had that growing up. I don't Chelsea, I mean, we're both of a certain age where I don't think, I mean, I didn't hear any of
1: those messages about girl power. No, but I will tell you, I know Kate. Well, she has twin girls. They have Ruth Bader Ginsburg dolls. I actually think they did like a play therapy funeral for her. They were so oh. sad when she passed away that they like did their own little Ruth Bader Ginsburg funeral. The her way, girls are going to be fierce and amazing. Yeah. We know that already.
0: And I have, I have twin brothers and seeing how they were socialized versus me, you know, it's, it's all, we're all textbook socialization. They're good at math, science, I have a phobia of it. They're very logical. I'm probably more logical than I give myself credit for. So it's great that they have each other and they have you.
1: So it's so important with kids and language, right? Of you hear this whole group of people that were marked gifted as kids that then really struggle in the workplace because they were always praised of you're so smart, you're so smart. So the first time something becomes hard... It's just that they're not smart enough, not that they need to just keep working hard. And so that language around that is really important. Kate just actually commented, you work so hard on that. How do you feel now that you figured it out is my go-to line. Awesome. So good. All right. The next question, we don't have this person's name, but it says, let's talk trolls. How do you overcome negative people? (laughs) Okay.
0: Ladiesgetsued.com. I encourage you all to check it out. Although wait until this is over and you will have, you will go down a rabbit hole. We were targeted by a group of men's rights activists. Yes, that is a thing. And yes, it sounds funny until you were sued by them. They sued us for gender discrimination. This was in both Los Angeles and San Diego. We had events. I will be fully honest about this. We did say the events were for female identifying and non-binary folks because they are town halls where we have to make people feel really comfortable to talk about things at work that they struggle with. A lot of times the conversations, no matter what the theme was, would end up going in a direction of sexual harassment and discrimination. So, of course, the thinking was, well, we can't have people in the room to make them uncomfortable. I think this means making it female identifying and non-binary. These guys... They're called the National Coalition of Men. They routinely target groups like mine, and not just groups like mine. They've targeted the Oakland A's for giving out hats to women on Mother's Day. I mean, it's a real operation, like that. Well, and it makes a lot of money. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. Because when you sue pe- and by the way, and this is, I think, one of the worst parts about it, they sue under a Civil Rights Act, right? And of course, the Civil Rights Act was meant to protect people like me. Yeah. And people settle. You know, That's how it's really enterprising here. People don't go to court because going to court ends up being very expensive and messy. So better mm-hmm. just to settle. Then they target me and they don't just target me personally and ladies get paid. They also sued the venues that hosted us, food and beverage donations, and six of the women who helped us organize the event. Okay. Oh, my God. Yeah, that was where I, I had a total breakdown because I also felt a lot of guilt and responsibility and questioning myself, am I a discriminator? I mean, it's really sort of a mind warp how do you like? I'm the bad person. I'm so confused. And it took a year to end up settling, largely because they waited almost a year to actually even serve me papers. They served everybody else and just waited. And you know, when they served me, they served me after the women's march. True story. At that point, I was like, touche, guys. Touché, like, <laughs> excellent work, great story. And then we could move. I know. I, have processed this, this is the amazing thing that happened. There's a couple of really fantastic things that happened after this. Number one, we crowdfunded our legal fees. We ended up raising over $116,000 in three weeks from 2,000 people. So we sort of joked that it was like an unintended marketing campaign in a way. And it was the first time we really asked our community to step up. Everything we offer them is free, $10, $15, $25. I mean, we're very inclusive. Does that make us a lot of money? No. So we have been wanting to figure out ways to really ask people, if you believe in this, you need to support it financially. Like ladies yes. need to get paid. And this was this was our time to do that. The other two amazing things that came out of this was... One, I ended up getting introduced to my book agent because of it, and that's how I wrote the book, even though the book is not about it at all, although the very last line is about the men who sued me that was the book, so I dedicated my last line to them, not the whole book, just the last line. The last thing, and this is what I'm most proud about, we have been working with the ACLU and legal aid to add language to this law that effectively says if you use this law in a way that sort of perverts its purpose, it's not that you're not allowed to sue because this is America, we all sue, right? Like you can't stop people from suing. But we wanted to add language that would give people confidence that if they did try to fight it in court, that the judge might say, listen, guys, the language in this law is clearly saying you shouldn't use it this way. And the hope would be that it gets thrown out. Mm -hmm. So we worked with ACLU and legal aid. And a month ago, we actually made a presentation to, and I'm going to get this wrong, but it was like the California Department of Fair and Equal Employment. A lot of acronyms. It's California state senators, mm-hmm. and they decided to create a working group moving forward. That was the next step is in order for this to actually become introduced into law, they had to believe that it was worthy of pursuing, which we did. And I was able to present, I did it over zoom.
1: Okay. So this is like the ultimate trolling situation, right? Oh yeah. like, To go back to that, how did you not let this destroy like your whole mental space for a year plus? Well, I did oh, I totally did. I did go on a
0: second medication. I how everybody feels about big Pharma is your choice, but I went on an anti-anxiety medication during that time, and that was very helpful. I just couldn't get I just couldn't get stuck in the lows. I had to figure out a way to sort of stay even keel. That was huge. And also just that there's so much validation in being targeted. Like Clearly, as horrible as these men were, clearly I was doing something that was threatening. And that means I was making change, right? I always knew that advocating for women was a little bit controversial, but I didn't know that it was this controversial, which made me even more committed to the cause. And it's made me even more committed to telling women that this is really powerful. When you stand up for yourself, whether it is saying no to something, you could be saying yes to something that is threatening to some people. Mm -hmm. So it was horrible, but now it feels really good that it happened. So, and I'm off the Medicaid. That was sort of a nice day where I was like, I think I'm ready. I think I can do this on my own. And I was very proud of that because it took, it took a year
1: to get there. So we could go two ways with this. One, your trolls could be worse, person who's asking this question. Yeah. And I think that there's some amount of that comes with standing up and using your voice is you're going to have these people, whether you run your own business, whether you are just trying to climb the ladder at work, there will always be people who have negative comments and we just kind of have to, ignore them or like Claire pivot them to create more power for ourselves
0: and support. I mean, that's number one suggestion is always, can you ask for help? And no, it is not a burden to seek help because people like to give help. They do. They like to feel needed. Anytime you're unsure of what to do, or I can't go into the details of what happened at the end of the lawsuit, other than we didn't go to court, which means there was some sort of settlement, which I'm not allowed to talk about, even though I just did. Right.
1: (laughs) It did not go to court. That's what we're going to, we're going to just stop there. Well, let's go to the next question. So Sarah wants to know, I would love to hear negotiating tips because negotiating scares me. I want to be compensated according to my skills and what I deserve, but I'm afraid of rocking the boat at my job.
0: I want to validate what you're saying, because I think anybody who says act like a man or just be confident, I think, A, that's not advice that really helps because Maybe you just don't feel confident. Like it's just you need other, you know, advice besides that. Um, mm-hmm. also there's a thing called the double bind, right? So this is when if you were to act outside of the social norm of how we expect you to act as a woman, you might get penalized, right? So if you're assertive, you might be perceived as aggressive. Women of color totally know what I'm talking about here. I mm-hmm. always say whatever horrible statistic there is for women in general, just make it even worse for women of color double bind is a real thing. So yes, you going into negotiate is an experience of where you're asserting yourself. Yeah. I think it's not so much what you say but really how you say it. So yeah. it's I'm excited for us to figure this out together, using the word we, expressing your enthusiasm or empathy. I know I'm negotiating a pandemic. This is weird. <laughs> so there's that. There's also knowing that if you were at the stage where you're negotiating, whether it's at uh, for a new job or you're talking about getting a raise, they clearly want to make this work. Mm-hmm. Otherwise you would not be even getting that kind of offer. It is in their best interest to come up with a solution that does work for everybody. The first number is really rarely the last number. Even if they say that it is, still tell them the market research you did and say, what can we do to get there? I know you're a company that pays fairly. You can talk about how you read about the wage gap when you're really into like supporting women. You know that it's important to advocate for yourself. So blame it on us. You can give some context to this. So it's not so much like, this is my number and screw you, right? Like this can be, and it should be more of a conversation that you're having with them. So I validate what you're saying in terms of being nervous, but they do expect you to negotiate You also will demonstrate that you're a person who values yourself and you're going to do it again with enthusiasm, empathy, you're well-researched, you're excited to work there. I think this could make you look really good because they are going to think, wow, she can do this for us. You know, she's representing the kind of employee we want to have. So do your best to convince yourself otherwise. And if you practice and you have your scripts, you write it down, you can admit that you're nervous. There's not that many ways this conversation is going to actually go. So as long as you have confidence in the script that you've practiced, I think you're going to feel a lot better.
1: Do you wait until like what is normally annual raise time, or do you do it ahead of time, have these conversations ahead of time? I think throughout the
0: year, you need to be advocating for yourself. The best way to do that, in my opinion, is two ways. One, when you have meetings, which if they're not having regular check-ins with you, you definitely should be asking for them. I would weave in things that you've done or good feedback that you've gotten, right? So it can be, Hey, I got, I just want to let you know, I got a, a really nice email from the client last week. It's not bragging because your success is their success. They'll feel a lot better to know that you're doing a great job. So tell them what you're doing. The second thing is, is if you do have a big win, that is definitely a good time to call a meeting and say, you want to talk about your future at the company. You want to talk about how do you level up, right? Even if it's not going to happen for another year, yeah. expressing that you want to move forward and up and have momentum. Like these are all good things, especially if you're seeking their counsel, you value their opinion. You can say, I admire your career. I mean, be genuine about it, but you know, you can flatter them. It's okay. You can also ask them, or are you the one determining my compensation? Because oftentimes they're not. They have to yeah. go and make the case to somebody else. And I have found in my community, just asking them, what can I do to help you make my case? The person they, ask, their boss is like thrilled. Oh my gosh. Cause they're so busy. They go, yeah. oh, could you send me a bunch of talking points? I've even had somebody who made a PowerPoint and they have <laughs> even footnotes of the research she did. I mean, it really, you couldn't say no to her. I mean, it was like, where do I sign this check? This person, this woman, like they're fabulous. So I think you can start the conversation and should start the conversation before annual review time, but don't back them into a corner. The last thing I was going to say is, please find out when budgets are determined. Because if your annual review is in February, chances are they actually decided who was getting a bonus or whatever it is in like November. Yeah. So if you wait until February to ask for money, there may not be room in the budget. Mm-hmm. So to figure that out, even just going against your manager, HR, it's not you snooping around. It's you saying, I really want to get a better understanding how this company operates from a business standpoint and my impact in it. Even though we know why you're actually asking, you can make this sound like it's bigger than you.
1: Absolutely. And this actually the point of paying attention to your achievements all year long ties to this question from Sonia who says, what should you do if you work on a project, but when the time comes for praise on the project, you're not even mentioned. It's not that I need the praise, but if I'm keeping a running list of things I have taken on to help the team business, it's good to know that it's noticed. I was helping out in an area that was not my normal work area since we were overloaded in another area and didn't even get the mention. So How do we make sure we're being acknowledged for these things that we're keeping on our list?
0: Yeah. As long as you're acknowledging it, I mean, and you have the data to back it up. I mean, if you're going to use this as part of expressing why you bring a lot of value, which it sounds like you do because you're doing things outside of your job, right? And that's them saving resources, to be frank. So, So you can tell that story. But in order for you to get recognition, I do think it comes from having allies. And so I'll give you some insight here. Sponsors is what we want. These are people at the company who have influence, who are gatekeepers, who are in rooms that you are not invited in. Get them to be excited about you because a lot of stuff is being talked about when you're not there and you want them to be able to say, Kate, she's doing a great job, right? Or I think she's ready for this promotion or she has an idea. Go email those people or email their assistant. By the way, this person doesn't have to be the CEO. You can start a little bit lower and have something personal that you found out about them. I did research. I saw you did this great interview in Forbes. You said something really sparked my interest. I have one question for you. Can we jump on a call for 20 minutes? Do it by email, whatever works for you. So You're very targeted in who you ask. You're very personal about why you're asking. And you're also very specific about what you're asking. And you're demonstrating you respect their time. So part of it is, well, you know your accomplishments and you'll talk about them. And then the other part is making sure other people know who you are. And also take an inventory of, are you speaking up in meetings? Like how vocal are you in group dynamics as well? And if you do feel like you're doing the best you can, then my question to you is like, is this a company that will ever give you the recognition you need to move up? Mm -hmm. And that's where we all need to be networking all the time so that we can keep our eyes out for future opportunities because you never know when you either might need it or you might want
1: it. Mm. And this next question ties into the double bind a little bit and just gender discrimination in general. But Kelly says, when I was working, I always had my year-end review include the fact that I was aggressive. Of course, my immediate supervisor benefited from my aggressiveness because I kept problems away from his door, but he would never admit that. When we're hearing words that would not be used to describe the men sitting next to us in a negative, like how do we change that story? Or is it really just, we might need to find a different company? Because obviously there's a lot of privilege in saying just change jobs.
0: Yeah. And and so much of my advice, it comes from a place of privilege because the strongest negotiators are the people who are able to walk away from a job. That's just the way it is. So so I really appreciate you acknowledging that. I think we need to ask people more often, why? Why do you say immigrant? Like make them give you details, specific details. Also, even asking How do you define aggressive? Because it could manifest in a lot of ways, right? And if you feel comfortable in doing this, if you have this kind of relationship, even saying, I know that that's a trigger word, that there's a lot of gendered noise with that word. And so I want to ask you, let's break this down. I also want to make sure I'm doing a great job. You can also always turn something around on somebody and go, what would you do if you were in my position? Get more information. I think oftentimes we feel like we need to answer for things when actually we need them to answer for it. So I would say first come with an open mind and ask them how they're experiencing you being aggressive. Remind them it's a gendered word. So you need them to like, do they mean assertive? Like kind of give them an opportunity to take it back. And then you can also explain, I don't know if if Kelly, you're telling your boss that you're keeping problems away from his door. Like if you're explicitly telling him that, maybe you should. But yeah, I would say like, break that down. What does that actually mean? And do you mean assertive? I'm super into the
1: shaming tonight. <laughs> I don't and it is it's so hard because some men on the other side of the table would view that question as aggressive or that phrasing like do you mean assertive and they'd be like you're being aggressive right now <laughs> which you're not but that i've seen that happen before god and it's so frustrating
0: that's when the next job is coming and by the way somebody to ask that question i'm guessing your list of sponsors should be diverse men women different levels Our networks should be diverse because, first of all, if they're not diverse, you're going to end up being in that small world. You're going to like tap out of opportunities at some point in general. Here's the thing about sponsors. Men have more sponsors than women, and I actually think it's not so much sexism as it is you just bond with people who remind you of yourself, honestly. And if most of the people in power are white men, well, guess who they're going to sponsor? White men, Right. That means maybe you're going to end up gravitating more towards women, which is fine. We need to be comfortable. But looking at the people who are in power, being strategic, if you're trying to figure out a salary, go ask white men. I mean, really, like... If they want to be allies, this is a great time to get them to be an ally. I also do, you know, even though I was saying a sponsor is a person of influence, yes, CEO, C-suite, all of that. But I think people who are just a step ahead of you is great because you're probably going to end up wanting to move into their level. And so being able to get a really good understanding from them about how they operate, what are the challenges they experience, like that kind of intel from them is going to help you determine, A, if you want to go to their job or their level? And B, how do you make the case to your boss that you're ready? It's going to come from the intel you got from them. So that's a great question. My answer is diverse is good. But at the end of the day, it really does come down to like, who has influence who can advocate on your behalf.
1: Yeah. So the first bank I worked at, to reach the managing director level, you had to be nominated by a partner. So the partner's had like annual meetings to decide who's going to be added to the managing director level. And so if you didn't have sponsors that sat at that level, you were just going to get stuck. And so it's amazing sometimes how explicit it is that you really need these people. Otherwise, you're going to hit a ceiling where you can't get past.
0: Did they have sponsorship program? Like, did they help facilitate people being able to? No. Okay. Well, <laughs> oh, that's really it. I are about investment are, banking here, Claire. <laughs> like, people are doing... I, I've been asked to come into banks. I think in general, companies are trying now. Yeah. They're taking the first steps to trying. And by the way, if your company doesn't have it, you should recommend it because it's going to help keep people at the company. And they save money, which I tell the story of this woman, Sarah, who knew she wanted to implement better paid family leave. She started by pitching an ERG for parents What ended up happening is, yes, she was able to get better paid family leave, and she went to her boss and said, I would like this to be reflected in my annual review, and I would like to dedicate a portion of my hours moving forward to helping to manage the ERG. So what's really wonderful, like creating what you want to see, it's not just beneficial for you and others, but you could actually use this to your benefit to get a raise and a promotion, which it's all very exhausting, and I'm not saying y'all need to take on extra work. But do know if you ever need something, can you be the person to suggest it? And obviously, you know, finding other people who can join you and pitching your company for budget.
1: And to be fair to my old employer, we had mentorship programs when we first joined. So when we came right out of college, we were assigned mentors and we were encouraged and taught throughout the early three, four years you were at that company, the importance of finding mentors and networking. We actually would like get coffee gift cards and stuff to invite senior people to go get coffee or whatever. And so by the time you reach that level where you were trying to get managing director, if you didn't understand that networking was important, then they kind of left that on you. They just didn't have senior level sponsorship stuff. But it is interesting having the right people in the room to have these conversations. The person from Ladies Get Paid who negotiated for more family paid leave one of the switches they made at this same company was that they moved to only promoting managing directors every other year. And what they found really quickly was that women, when they start having children on average, have them every other year. And all of a sudden they had these groups of women who would miss four years of promotion window because they were on maternity leave both of those years. Wow! And so they've like rolled it back and they've made some changes to accommodate for that. But some of these things like If you don't have women advocating and commenting on the process before you make the policy, you can put yourself back for a really long time. Wow, that's such a that's so
0: interesting. And that's where at the end of the day, it's about structural change. Like we can do our best to be confident and negotiate. But. You can make a structural change, by even just calling a meeting. I appreciate that where big structural change does not require big actions necessarily. They may require bold action, but you can call a meeting and bringing in your competitors. This is how Sarah did it, where she did research at other companies. And after she was able to implement Better Pay Family Leave, the other big ride sharing company then did it. Okay. Because they all know that they're competing for talent. And that's where she realized. And I want you all to realize is that you actually have a lot more power than you think you do. Companies do
1: not exist if their employees do not exist. Keep that in mind. Sarah's amazing. All right, Claire, the last group question that we're going to ask you here is what do you think about career coaches? I think it's great. You have to find the right fit for you, but just
0: like We all need therapists, and I'm so glad that there's new, you know, there's teletherapists and they're more accessible and and less expensive. We're too close to ourselves, first of all. (laughs) Second of all, we're probably really harder on ourselves than anybody else would be. Three, there are lots of statistics that say women are way less likely to apply for jobs when they don't feel like they meet all the requirements. So you could be standing in your way and not even realize it, and you do need an outside person to kind of check you on it along with helping guide you. And we're not taught this stuff. I mean, I really wish in high school and college I received any kind of coaching, whether it was negotiation, how to balance a budget, you know. So if you can get some help, please do. Also, obviously, join Ladies Get Paid. We have a Slack group. Over 2 million messages have been exchanged since 2016, which means these women want to help you. They are there to give guidance. So does that mean it has to be an official professional career coach? Only you will know that. Maybe you just need a list of things to do and folks to hold you accountable and to encourage you. But man, I mean, I'm I'm all for a believer of support and ever however you can get it. Absolutely. Claire, any last pieces of advice from your book? I think that we all need to be way easier on ourselves than a life is hard enough. There's already like things we have to battle, structural inequity and all that stuff. Man, let's not make it even harder for ourselves. So that is also at least one thing you can control is how you be kind to yourself. And just keep in mind that dealing with things like imposter syndrome or perfectionism or just in general being self-critical, it's not about banishing those feelings. Because if you attempt to do that, you may constantly find yourself frustrated or disappointed that... Clear, how can you still be feeling like an imposter after this success, okay? Mm-hmm. So it's actually about learning the tools to just deal with it. It's about learning to cope with it. And then it's being proud of yourself that you're, I call it bounce back time, where if you mm-hmm. are being self-critical, normally maybe you do it for an hour. Eh, maybe now it's 10 minutes. So that's the way I think we should be looking at sort of reconciling goals is just how am I dealing with it? Am I dealing with it a little bit smarter or strategically now? We have to start there because- that is a place we can start getting the raise, getting the money that comes after.
1: That's fantastic, Claire. Before you let you go, we have to have you try on our Smart Money Mama's Sorting Hat. Everybody can now actually see the Sorting Hat. The Sorting Hat is our version of the hot seat, where we ask our magical hat to reveal something about you. Are you ready? Oh, thank goodness! I'm so excited. <laughs> this is the first time anyone has been able to see the Sorting Hat because we don't normally do this live, like we're doing in the society. So let's see. Here we go. <laughs> what was your biggest money mistake
0: oh my gosh so many so many being afraid to check my bank account Ooh. which is still something I struggle with guys and overdrafting because I didn't check two things that interesting things have happened when I didn't check my bank account and by the way it wasn't me being lazy I was genuinely worried about it because I was afraid it would there wouldn't be enough money in there and that would make me feel bad and so the issue is yes I did overdraft But the other issue was sometimes I was afraid to look at it. And when I finally did, I realized I had a lot more in there than I thought, you know? And so it was like, well, wow, I have just constructed in my head this whole narrative about myself and money. It's math. Yes, there are feelings, but it's also math. And you can make a plan and also not learning about credit cards. That's a whole other story. Definitely went into some debt for that one.
1: There is a whole thing around. So in this society, which is where we are right now, we have five foundation courses. And one of them is about taking stock and looking at your numbers. And there's so many people that are afraid to really get into their numbers because they think they're way behind on retirement or they don't have enough money. And no matter what the answer is, even if you're right, once you know, like you said, then you can make a plan. Then it gets easier. But right. when you're hiding from it, that's when things pile up. So, Claire, where can people buy your book, follow up with you and make sure they get paid. Yes.
0: So ladiesgetpaid.com is how you join our Slack group. You'll see a tab on there for the book. So ladiesgetpaid.com slash book. It's available everywhere and anywhere. Target actually just put in a big order and it's going to be promoting it during Women's History Month. Which
1: Congratulations.
0: Is oh, so we're going to... Maybe I'm not so much of an imposter anymore. If Target thinks I'm doing okay. So you could go get the book there, join our community. And if you all want to stay in touch with me, the best way to connect is through Instagram. I do respond to every single DM. It might take me a day, but don't email me because my inbox is really frightening. Don't add to my inbox anxiety, please. My Instagram handle is Claire Gets Paid. Chelsea, you're one of my favorite people to have conversations with. And I'm not just saying that because like you're here, like you actually are. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate that.
1: I love chatting
0: with you. And thank you all for being here. This is such an awesome community and you all stuck around and you asked questions and thank you for making my night. And I hope this was helpful
1: for you all. This was so helpful. Claire, thank you for joining us. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks guys. Go get paid. Oh man, mamas. Didn't the women in the Motivated Mama Society ask such awesome questions? I'm so, so glad we were able to record this episode with Claire live in the community, especially as so much of her work centers on bringing women together. It's always a joy for me to get to chat with Claire, get her advice, and hear her stories. I mean, AOC announcing she's going to run for office at a Ladies Get Paid event? Incredible. Completely incredible. If you're looking to get paid what you're worth or step into your dream career, I highly encourage you to buy Claire's book, also called Ladies Get Paid. She has so much experience helping women, and I know her pulling it all together beautifully into this book is going to help even more women thrive. As always, I've wrapped up my three favorite takeaways from this conversation with Claire that you can bring into your own career and get yourself paid. First... Always work on growing your network with a diverse group of people. Sometimes we get into doing our jobs on a regular basis and we forget to keep connecting with other people who might be able to help us. Connections can happen anywhere and lead to unexpected opportunity. Now, with COVID going on, we're not out and about as often, but this could mean joining Facebook groups, joining LinkedIn groups, joining communities like Ladies Get Paid or our Mamas Talk Money community, and just looking for people who want to support you, asking questions. Look for mentors and sponsors, people who will actually advocate for you. Mentors are amazing and they can teach us valuable skills, but sponsors are people in your unique workplace that are going to go and go to bat for you encourage your bosses to promote you, encourage your bosses to give you that next opportunity. And those are the people we all need to get to the next level. So if you're feeling a little isolated while you're working from home, reach out to someone who's a few steps ahead of you. Reach out to someone that you've met in a meeting or a conference in the past and ask if they wanna do a 15-minute Zoom chat, coffee chat, and hang out and just get their advice. Start to build those relationships. It'll make a huge difference in your long-term career. Second, when asking for a raise, Show up prepared. Know your company's business model. When are budgets set? Who is the decision maker? That way you go in at the right time and you know you're talking to the right person. If you wait until annual raise point or you wait until the start of a new year, those budgets are likely already set and it's going to be a lot harder to get the raise that you deserve. Also have a list of your accomplishments and know exactly how you've helped the company's bottom line. Focus on accomplishments that you know have helped them win a new client, save costs, do something to drive their profit forward so that they see exactly how valuable you are. This is something you should keep throughout the year and be able to pull up before you go into a raise conversation. It's much easier than trying to look backwards and pull out those small achievements. Research what your people in your industry are paid, know what the realistic range is, and then when you're in the conversation, know that the first number is never the final number and that you can negotiate for more than money. If they're claiming they're strapped on budget, ask about continuing education, vacation time, parking. Think about your whole compensation package and not just your salary. That way, you can be more flexible and they have more opportunities to boost your overall pay. Go prepared know your worth and don't take the first number they offer and finally never doubt the power of a group of women coming together and sharing stories and vice and support. Join a community like Ladies Get Paid or the Motivated Mama Society. Find places where you can talk about the things that are typically taboo without fear of judgment. Talking about those things that are a little bit taboo are the way we break through barriers. It's the way we figure out how other women, how other people are handling tough situations and give us the tools and skills to continue to advance ourselves. Find those spaces. If you're interested in joining the Motivated Mama Society, go to smartmoneymamas.com forward slash join. We would love to have you. Mamas, you've got this. I want to thank Claire again for coming on the show, hanging out with the women in the Motivated Mama Society, and doing such amazing work to advocate for women in the workplace. You can find links to visit Claire's website, buy her book, Ladies Get Paid, in the show notes at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash Claire. That's C-L-A-I-R-E. Thanks for hanging out with me today. If you have learned anything new, leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and tell a friend. I appreciate you. Keep talking money, mamas. I'll see you next time.